I want to talk to you about opportunity. I want to remind you of the interesting snapshot of 1 Corinthians 16.9 and then also 1 Chronicles 12.32. 1 Corinthians, not to be confused with 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles is in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Now, I want to talk to you about opportunity and opposition. I want to kind of start out with 1 Chronicles 12.32. I've been reading Genesis and I've been reading about Abraham who begat Isaac, who begat Jacob. Jacob then had children. Then they represented tribes, the patriarchs and tribes. And one of the tribes was Issachar. And it said of Issachar's race, and a lot of spirit-filled believers appreciate this verse for what it says. It says in 1 Chronicles 12.32, the children of Issachar, the sons of Issachar, were men defined as people who understood the times. Everybody say, understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. So, it's, so basically the, the breakdown here in the New King James is they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. This is not just technical know-how, this is spiritual perception. It's not just spiritual perception that's just in a jar with a lid that's like a fetish that you could look at and celebrate, but it's actually translatable into practicality. I think about necessity as the mother of invention. And uh, I grew up, and the reason I think about that quote, just to be honest, is because Frank Zappa had a band called The Mothers of Invention. So I heard about this cliche, this phrase, in that context. And I thought Mothers of Invention sounded like an amazing phrase. And uh, it started out in Plato's era, Plato's Republic. It said it this way. It said, our need will be the real creator. Our need will be the real creator. Necessity is the mother of invention. In the medieval French period of 1485 to 1490, their phrase was similar to that of the Bible, hunger makes people resourceful. Hunger makes people resourceful. Uh, Necessity is the mother of invention. For example, there was a necessity to communicate. So at the beginning, when God created us as volitional, decisional types made in his image, We began to communicate and express with him and fellowship and with one another. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He created Eve. They they were fruitful. They multiplied. They had children and children's children. And here we are. And it started out with a story by the fire. And then it went into uh, from audible and verbal to written. And then things were written. It is written. And in the beginning was the word. This very important. And so began what we now call the information superhighway. And it was paved by the necessity to get things out and get things over. And I was fascinated by a study I did a while back that not only did it go from beating a drum and communicating verbally by the fire, that's where all these biblical stories were processed from Adam and Eve to communicate all the way to Moses who communicated to David who communicated to the early church who communicate to us. And these are faithful, authentic messages that's God's word and it's furnished to give us hope, all of us. And it gives, it's, the, it's a hope for mankind. It's a hope for the lost world that we're in that's trying to fight and fend off God and go to a secular uh, approach. But it's not utopia, it's dystopia. It's, it's not uh, advancing, it's digressing. 
and it, there's, it's not the Garden of Eden anymore, we're not in heaven yet, and no humanity will ever be able to adequately create a utopia. We learn that actually from the scriptures because they, the necessity to have these things communicated. Well then, was it Morse who manipulated electricity in the early age and converted it from energy to communication? Imagine that they were able to take electricity and make it a communication point. And uh, they typed out what God hath wrought. And then Reginald Fessenden, a, a Canadian uh, physicist, vi played the violin of Silent Night as one of the first broadcasts on the radio waves out to the only people who had receivers were the Navy ships in the ocean. So there was this communication. The first expression on radio wasn't shock uh, jock or rock and roll or any such thing. It was the message of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. The first interchangeable uh, type with Gutenberg was the, the Gutenberg press. It was for the word. It was for this book. It was, it's, uh, the information superhighway was paved for this category one message. And in the Old Testament, Issachar's race they were sensitized and they were listening and they were seeking and they were knocking. In the early church in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, there's an amazing declaration from Jesus. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and what? It'll be open to you. One translation says the door will be open. There's a verse that says Jesus is the door. In Revelation 4.1, it says that, that a door was open in heaven. And he said, come up here and look and listen, and I'm going to show you the next things of what to do. And I'm telling you, the Lord doesn't withhold information. He saves it up for us. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings, listen carefully, to search out a matter. And this message today is advice and encouragement and focus to seek, to knock, and to ask like never before. We are not just in this for our own survivorship. We are in this for the long haul and we're in this for souls. We're in this for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We're in this for answered prayer. We're in this for fruitfulness. In this is my Father glorified, that you and I bear fruit and that our fruit would remain. Signs, wonders, and miracles are to follow those who believe. Over and over again, that is iterated throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, read the Bible and you'll see the documentation and the evidence for how miraculous God is. I take issue with one of our founding father presidents, Jefferson, who sifted out just putting the ethics and the policies of God out and taking away and depriving of the, uh, the miraculous. It, it, that was, I, I don't agree with that move. You can't separate the miraculous from the practical ethics. They're, one in the, they're, they're inseparable, they're, they're integrated. You know, and the gospel that we have embraced is not just uh, holding to a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I got a Jefferson Bible at the book fair. I was a big advocate. I would pick out, I'd go to book uh, stores in, in Wales and England. I would search out these old dusty bookstores and find out of print Bibles. And it was wonderful. In fact, I went into one place and all oh, you Yanks, you come over here and you want these old original King James. Here's one from 1611 and it's uh, $100. I said, no, I don't want that one. I want to get 20th century translation and Weymouth and Moffat and all these different amazing modern sort of paraphrases from 100 or so years ago. You get them for a dollar, you get them one pound or, or 50 pence, you know. 
uh, but $100 for me at that point was like $1.5 million for our, for our budget. So, but now I look back and I try to kick myself that that big, beautiful, intact, original King James Bible, are you kidding me? I would have loved to have had that for 100 bucks. But the bottom line is, even people that maybe don't value the Bible as what it can really bring and who it really represents, we do. And it's God's calling us similarly to this Issachar's race kind of identity where we can actually develop understanding of the times and of what Israel is to do. Now, you're a literalist and you're wanting to make sure that I'm doing my expository preaching correctly and that I'm judging scripture with scripture and I'm making sure that I'm not taking it out of context. That was ancient Israel. That was for that particular period. And that was a significant and specific group of people. But what it really also speaks generally of, as we look at the specific moment of history, is that that God is our God. And he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And he wants us to ask for wisdom. Wisdom about our child rearing. Wisdom about what we do with our finances. Wisdom about where we go even on a vacation or for that matter even where we should eat at what restaurant and where to sit and who to talk to and who to refrain from. Where to give, how to pray, how to think, what to turn off on television, what to turn on to, what to tune into, what to read. God, as we submit to his lordship and we give preference and honor for his ways, ask him to teach us his ways, we can lead some interesting lives, can't we? We can live in the dimension of the supernatural. I have a Thomas Jefferson Bible and I got, a, I got annoyed by it because the God that I serve is he's supernatural. Not only is he brilliant in knowledge and wisdom and his depth is, is deeper than the ocean and higher than the, the planets, but he's a miracle working God and he's looking to deploy people who get that, who trust God for that, and it is such is the case here with Paul. Paul is telling the Corinthians, he's, you know, the Corinthian church was thriving. It was a very cosmopolitan, eclectic place. It was a cultural crossroads, the spice trade, the port city. It had a lot going on. It was the, you know, the Hellenized Greco-Roman thing was really strong. And there was just a lot of... Uh, you know, integration and a lot of, you know, melting pot and then a lot of diversity. It was a really fascinating place. But also the church, though it was real fervent, also had a lot of problems. And Paul was having to go there and just kind of get up in their grill. And there were really pressing issues about their excesses with the gifts and things like that. And people being divisive. And I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. He said, you're so carnal, I can't even speak to you as spiritual people because you're so, um, there's division among you. And that's a marker of carnality. Today's world, the devil uses uh, division to try to weaken the state of things. House divided against itself can't stand. That's what President Lincoln quoted in that era when things were going terminal in the 1860s. He, used that, he got that from the Bible. Conversely, Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And uh, we're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we as believers must not allow the same kind of divisive thing and the same antagonistic strategies of the devil to come and integrate into or, or get into our world. We've got to fight for our right to party. 
in the words of the Beastie Boys, right? Paul said, you know, hey, I'm going to stay, though you guys really need my attention. I'm going to get there. Trust me, he's saying to the Corinthians, I'm going to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Could it be that we're coming up to our finest hour? Could it be that God doesn't have any surprises and he knows the end from the beginning? Could it be that he is so, he's the personification of the best there is of wisdom and knowledge? And could it be that he's the head of the church and we're the body of Christ and that we're joined together? And could it be that our times are in his hands and that he orders our steps? Could it be that as it was for Paul when he said, a great door of effective service is open to me and there are many adversaries. Dr. Hazen is actually from Turkey, from the town that just suffered this terrible earthquake. I feel like crying because there are people that are struggling right now. I, I, went, I lived in earthquakes growing up and we were in a really severe one. You know, we were there, we tried to go out there and help in the Northridge earthquake. We saw the overpasses all torn down. We've been in the Haitian, I went to the Haitian earthquake right immediately after, and I saw their Capitol building sandwiched down like it was a beautiful building with whitewashed paint and beautiful, smashed down, crushed. And I went and visited a mass grave with 60,000 plus people who had perished. It's real. These are real moments. In Issachar's time, they had to listen and, and be sensitive to listen to the voice of God beyond the fray. In, in, in 1938 Germany, the church and the Christians had to pray because Kristallnacht and the synagogue of Nuremberg was being burned and stupid things were happening. Evil was alighting on fallen man and it was getting, they were being puppeteered by evil, orchestrated by an evil that... that, that I believe the believers in Issachar's race types in Paul saying a great door of effective service is open to me. He was in a context of Ephesus. And when I went, to, I went over to visit in, in Sicily, uh, there was actually a temple to the goddess Diana on the island of Sicily. Paul preached in Sicily when he, after he went to Malta. So there's a rich spiritual heritage there. Uh, it was actually an elegant temple. In fact, one of the famous uh, wonders of the world was the temple of Artemis, the goddess Diana. And, and, and they were saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And Paul went into Ephesus. And, and you don't understand how idolatrous and how dark, how, how hedonistic, secular, quasi-spiritual, idolatrous it was. It's, it's not something that we've lived, and yet we're living in our context. And so we've got to pay attention to Issachar's race. We've got to pay attention to Paul saying, hey, listen, guys, I'll be there in a little while, but right now I'm going to remain in, in, in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great, I perceive that a great, and the Greek word is megas. That's where we get mega. People say, oh, you're from a mega church? Of course I am. When Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 were added in one day. I only know big. I only know strong. I only know abundant because Jesus came to give abundant life. Of course, I believe in megas because that's God's nature. He does it one person at a time. So I will never lose sight of that. God spoke to me and instructed me. I was witnessing at my college 
And I had a crowd of about 35 people around me out in the quadrangle. They called it a quadrangle. And it was a spring day, and I just was out preaching. It was soul winning. Open air preaching was popular in the period of the 70s when I was speaking. I, I think they think you're a little bit like a manic street preacher. There's a band called Manic Street Preachers, you know. But I'm not going to be put off by that. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. Woe is me if I don't. And I was communicating, and the Lord said to me while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit prompting a very subtle thing, not a audible voice, but it almost felt like it. He said, uh, do you want to see what I see? I said, yeah. He said, you're not speaking to a crowd. You're speaking to individuals. Boy, God really downloaded something in me then. I forever then knew that I'm never speaking to a crowd. I'm speaking to individuals. I'm speaking to you. And I'm believing God. And that's to my point as a preacher I want to hear from the Lord, and I'm praying that it will be something translatable, something substantive, something applicable, something that will get in, be, put meat on your ribs, put a, put a spring in your step, fill your tank up past F. I realize you're not allowed to top off the tank anymore, but I'm, that, that's me standing on your bumper, jiggling your car, trying to get the bubbles out of your tank. So by the time you leave here, you're topped off. You're tanked up. You're ready to go. You're fueled with faith. You're fueled with confidence. You're fueled with certainty. You're free from insecurity. You're free from this blasé sense, chronic sense of futility. The Bible says, my Bible says that God delivered us from the futile way of life handed down to us by our earthly fathers. And that implies that he's brought us into abundant life. I only believe in, this, in abundance. That's my theology. I have a theology of abundance. Why? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. We've got to spend time hardcore studying who we are in Christ. What God has done for us, though we have this treasure in earthen vessels, we need to understand the inventory of the treasure. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Yeah. That he that the son sets free is free indeed. He takes sinners and he makes us saints. Are you kidding me? You can't earn that. You don't deserve that. It, but it's provisional and it must be received. And as many as receive them, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. And our citizenship is in heaven. Paul said, man, I've got to stay here in Ephesus. And Ephesus was tough. Alexander the coppersmith caused him a lot of harm. Their people for a period of two hours were trying to outscream Paul, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. He got mistreated there, but yet a great church emerged out of that setting. A great door of effective service is open to me. A wide door for effective service. Speaking of, I had the opportunity in 1980 with my wife and that my first child, Chelsea, to fly over to England, the Lord had opened up a door. He opened up a door. My wife and I went on our missionary trip before we got married with a group to Israel for the 30th anniversary of their independence. And we went and we preached, we sang songs, we learned some Hebrew, we spoke. We, we had t-shirts that said Jesus loves you in Arabic and in Hebrew and in English. And we uh, ministered to people. We met some amazing folks. We had wonderful conversations, great answers to prayer. It was the beginning of what we embarked on in our ministry. We came back. That was May of 78. We got married the next month here in town at Abundant Life Church. And Pastor John and Jana were there. And uh, it was the beginning of our merging together as two are better than one. 
because they have a good return for their labor, which I have to tell Patsy all the time that she's blessed to have me and two are better than one. All you husbands can say amen to that. You want your wife to respect you. You want your husband to love you. Well, you got to believe God for all of it. And we went over, we, this used to be, and maybe you can reminisce, St. Louis actually had a, a, a direct flights from St. Louis to other countries. And it was, a, it, was, it was a hopping airport. And we had two nickels, basically, that we rubbed together. And we had a dream, though, and we, had, we met people from Liverpool, England, that, that said, listen, you, you know, you, you've got a touch of God on your life. We were graduated from Bible school, and they said, come, you can speak at the Elam Pentecostal churches, Assemblies of God churches, Methodist churches, Anglican churches. It was fascinating, the opportunities. And that England was, in my view at that point, going into a post-Christian lapse, and we were concerned about it. We were prepared to give our lives to the, Europe and England and go over there and just spend our lives there because we felt that it was in a, a teetering place. Little knowing that God actually insisted actually from the, before that that we build a home base at Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the earth. I had forgotten that. God reminded me of it. Go back there when I was all gung-ho to go to the nations. He actually wanted me to come here, build a home base from which to reach the nations. So I did that and we've done that. But on this trip, we took our little Chelsea. She was a toddler. She was born with a smile on her face. She was just like, here I am. She's had the same exuberance since day one. And I'm tell, I tell young parents, you can see personality traits in your kids from the get-go when they're like, People go, I don't really like babies until they start talking to you and stuff. It's like, I like them the whole, I like them before they're born, you know? I mean, God, thankfully, he knows us before we were formed in our mother's womb. It's like, back off, kids. It's like W.C. Fields. Back off, you bother me. Kids bother me. You know, no, God loves these kids. Except this night when we were in this, this inexpensive <laughs> hotel. And we were jet lagged out of our gourd. We bought, like, uh, we bought uh, standby tickets. And we waited in line and we waited in line at the airport and I stood there and I made it, I negotiated with a couple of guys. I said, look, let's go in shifts. We're, we're really close to this line. They've told us that the plane is pretty full, but let's, let's ask if it's okay. And then, then we'll hold our, each other's places in line. I'll take the first shift until two in the morning. You come at two, you'll go to five. And then somebody will come at five and they'll go through and we'll all meet back together. We did that. And we were the only people that got to advance and go on the, the flight. And everybody was fuming, but I don't care, because we got to go. And we did it right. I think it was too hungry it, it, was, it was a good, it was, which was like $8,000 a piece for us at the time. But nevertheless, we got to England. We got a, a, a comfortable but inexpensive old Victorian kind of hotel that uh, you know, has a bath, shared bathroom down the hall. You know, where the guy's washing his socks and hanging them up over the... I'm not kidding, man. You know, you're waiting for the guy from Nigeria to finish his socks. And then it's like, hey, well, how's it going, man? And then you're brushing your teeth. I've got to brush my teeth. You want to finish your socks? You know, that kind of thing. There's that kind of thing. But it was awesome. But, but not when Chelsea woke me up jumping on the top of my stomach. I woke up and I was like, what? And we, we were exhausted. Well, she had slept on the airplane. Because after all, she was like a baby. She was a little, she was, you know, 18 months old or something. And she was just jolly. So I would be mad. I was like, who could be mad at that, you know? So, but then, interestingly, it woke me up about 3, 2.30 in the morning. 
And I heard in the stairwell right outside our door talking. And so I, I handed the baby off to the mama. At this point, we're all up. We turn the night light or the side light on, and she's taking care of the baby. So I, you know, I got my, my Levi's on, and I went to the door, and I could hear people. So I opened the door and peeked, and there were a number of young people, maybe 14, 15 kids, and they were all out there. They had bottles of wine, and they were talking, and, and, uh, and they were speaking in another language, which I found was Danish. They were from Denmark. They had come to London to go to the British Museum, which is an amazing place. It has the Rosetta Stone. It has the Assyrian uh, uh, stuff they excavated, uh, Howard Carter's stuff from Egypt. It's a fantastic place. I mean, that place is amazing. I think it was on Indiana Jones or something, so then now you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, these guys were all high, high level, 4.3 grade point average genius kids that spoke fluent English. And they were all out there and they were partying. And it was funny because I looked around and they actually had the chaperones, parents, uh, adults that were there partying with them. So I thought, this is a bummer. But anyway, I, I went out there and I, I thought, well, I'm wide awake, Chelsea, thank you for that, Chelsea. So I closed the door. And a mega door, she, she's arguing up here that she was being led by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, as it turns out, the kids were out there, and they, we, you know, I said, hey, guys, what, you know, I, that's how I found out where they were from, and I, I said hi to the chaperones, and I was just standing there. I was wide awake because I didn't know what time zone it was, just like you don't today from missing, you're getting your hour extra of sleep. But I, so began an evening of conversation, night, early morning, of getting to discuss the things of God. God just opened a door. And I was there to preach in this itinerary with these specific churches. And I had a directive on what to say, and I was, I was really motivated, highly encouraged, young, enthusiastic minister. But I remembered what God spoke to me at the college, that you're not speaking to crowds, you're speaking to individuals. And it's not just point A and then point B. It's the stuff in the middle. It's Jesus going from Jericho to another place, and as he's going, somebody has an encounter with him along the way. And then that underscores the beauty of our potential as members of the body of Christ. As it goes with Jesus, he's called us to be followers of him. How many of you are following Jesus? We want to follow in his steps. Teach us your ways, Lord. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Issachar's race was an Old Testament example that I'm sure Jesus, as a young Jewish boy, read about. He had that in spades. He would get with God, and he'd, be, he'd get those divine directives from the Word, and he'd get those divine directives by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and then he would go about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And interesting things then would transpire. Like the, leper, the guy with leprosy would say, Jesus, if you're willing, you can you could heal me, and he would. The centurion says, boy, I'm, in, I'm motivated, man. I've got a servant that's sick. Could you speak the word? Just speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Miracles happen in this atmosphere, and I feel this is a miracle moment for us. In Issachar's day, there were stressful times, and they had to really hear from God in order to champion the cause in their time. Additionally, in the New Testament, in Corinth, they said, hey, look, there's so many issues that are pressing there, but I've got to stay in this place. I've got a white-hot moment where an open door, a mega door of effective service has opened to me. I sense that. And there are many adversaries, and that's a part that I think is practical. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. And we operate under duress. We operate behind enemy lines. We operate in a, like a blatant oppression that is just overlaid on the earth. And yet we, who have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus, have profound, literal hope. And we fix our hope on God and we trust God for signs, wonders, and miracles to follow. When we pray, we expect God hears and he answers our prayer. When we pray God sends laborers to cross the paths of our loved ones, God will bend over backwards and move things around all over the earth to get somebody to cross the path of the business partner or the neighbor or your child or a wayward Christian, he'd leave 99 sheep to go get one. And he'd rejoice more over the one restored than over the 99 that were doing well. And his eyes, I've always loved this, run to and fro throughout the earth, looking for people whose hearts are his. And in the King James, it says are perfect toward him. And we lose something in that because perfect in 1611 means something different than now. Perfectionism, we feel like, oh man, I fail with that. Well, what it means is wholehearted, complete. Like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm after you. How many of you, your heart's after God? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, and you know, you can raise your hand a little more heartily because God is at work in you. Raise your hand both to will and to do. Lock your elbows in your shoulder. Show me how much flexibility you have. Wave it a little bit. You see, that God is my God. He is faithful toward me. Raise up your hand real high. You're like a lightning rod for the blessings of God. We bought an old farmhouse and it had a lightning rod and a beautiful braided copper cable. And it was, you know, it, 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 it's a, it attracts. It, it's, it's, it's God's power works toward those who believe. He, 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 power is made available when we pray. And in a moment like this, the Lord Jesus is downloading some directives. And I know it'll translate into practical steps as we go. In the case with Paul, there was a great door of effective service that opened to him. And there were many adversaries. And he basically said, listen, man, uh, be on the alert. Verse 13, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. By contrast, if you and I operate in normal temperature as Christians, the world will think we broke out in a fever. By contrast, as darkness gets darker, light becomes very pertinent. I have a light on my key ring that I bought at the uh, mountain climbing store. This is as close as I got to mountain climbing. And you can see it for a mile. It's a little LED light. And it's amazing. You could, and it had, the reason I bought it is because you could flip the switch and it'll just stay on instead of just having to squeeze it. And it's just, a, and I bought them for, I started buying them for everybody. They're a little bitty. You put a little, one of those little dime looking batteries in there and that thing is bright. And I love just flashing it and annoying my family with it. <laughs> and I just thought, thought this, you can see a mile away. That's cool, man. Because it's a little bitty, little, yippee, little bitty. But man, you light that thing, you can see it a mile away. And you may feel like, I'm just a little bitty boopy doopy. But you are anointed, man. God's hand is on your life. And God's looking for people 
Just, I'm a product of a contact with a genuine wide awake Christian. I love Billy Graham. I, I enjoyed great fellowship with T.L. Osborne and Reinhard Bonnke. I, I thought about the frontier evangelism pioneering of these people and I admired it. That's what I actually wanted to be. But God, in fact, wanted us to come and build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. And I have settled on this realization that everything God wants to build comes out of the local church. And that he said, I will build my church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So me, who is prone toward evangelism, me that's prone toward getting out there and seeing signs and wonders follow, I feel the value of this godly domesticity. Paul felt the value of remaining in Ephesus until Pentecost because a door, a great door of effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And that's why he taught, fight the good fight of faith, keep the faith, uh, be obedient to the call. That, that's why God had Paul write about all the, the imagery of the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. God wanted us to be, have a mentality to fight this thing out. We live in a country where, in fact, in a region where after Daniel Boone got bored in, in Kentucky, and at 60 something years old, moved up here, built a new house, brought his wife, she's buried here now. He deployed out of here and went with a team and learned something like seven Native American languages in his 60s to 70s. And he traveled all the way west and then came back. And I get inspired by that stuff. I was born in San Francisco, man, and I'm glad I got out of there when I did. And then I grew up in Southern California and I got saved between San Bernardino and Los Angeles in the heat of the Jesus movement, in the broken lostness of the, of the secular experiment, of the counterculture stupidity of my era. And I watched Jesus roll up his sleeves and pull us out of the ditch. There was a great door of effective service. Thankfully, there were responsive, enough responsive believers who prayed pre-breakthrough prayers, and then who were there to intercept young people with bare feet, rivets on their jeans, scratching up the pews, dirty feet, coming into church, and they saw their moment. They understood their times. They saw past the race tensions. They saw past the economic problems. They saw past the ecological issues. They saw past the pressing little limitations and constructs of the times. And they saw, they lifted up their eyes and they saw the fields were white to harvest. They listened to the Holy Spirit and the ones that were compliant and yielded were willing to flow and adapt and adjust. Formal religious churches were having revival. The move of the Holy Spirit was starting to alight. Visitation Academy down the street here in our own town. Pastor Jim Armstrong, Virginia's back there. He was an Episcopal. He went to uh, Eden Seminary. I remember the first time I met him, he was in his 50s. I was a young man and he was in his 50s and he had the vestments of that high church. And then uh, through the course of time, he, they, they grew as a family with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, visited those formal environments. That's why when I went to those British churches, I knew there was hope of the power of the Holy Spirit could rekindle in those places. And I went in and I saw the black and white pictures of Lester Summerall when he was a young man. And I talked to him. I said, Lester, I preached in this place. And he goes, I remember that church in the 1930s. In, in Bradford, England, where Smith Wigglesworth was, where he visited him, and I was walking in those steps, and then God said, come back to St. Louis after a time of fasting and prayer. Yeah. 
We've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. My dad's business was in New York City. We would have had to move to New York because he was going to corporate headquarters to improve in his job position and the structure and strata of General Dynamics. But they had moved corporate office to Clayton to the Pierre Laclede building and right before. So we ended up moving to St. Louis instead of New York. I would have been lost in New York. I'd have been messed up in New York. I needed to be in St. Louis. God's is where God wanted me to be. I found my sweetheart here, man. I found my destiny here. I love this place. Don't disdain this place. Even when we have a wind chill factor and humidity and cicadas all at the same time, whatever, man. I feel sorry for the people that live in San Diego that have 360 days of sun. Poor people, they don't even get, they don't even get to have the variety. Is that what you call it, variety? I get depressed and the winter will stop. Just think about other people that get more depressed than you. You at least have salvation. Your name's in heaven. Go get people saved. If you're sensitive to that, go counter your depression by lifting people. Well, I don't like the heat and that I got to take a shower. Well, take three showers a day. That, that, or, that Hirschhauser guy, the pitcher, what's his name? Oral Hirschhauser. He used to take three showers a day. Uh, that's how he dealt with humidity. A great door, a wide door. Here's what it says in the, 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 the word in the Greek is the door, the, the mega, it's megas, exceedingly high, large, loud, and mighty. Exceedingly high, large, loud, and mighty. Read the documentation of the Bible. Read it in the light of this, what I'm saying. See the miraculous. See God in Genesis 28 with a ladder and an open heaven over Jacob, promising him a future. See the open heaven over Jesus when he's baptized by John in the Jordan, where the Holy Spirit comes like a dove and says, this is my beloved son. See the open heaven over the early church when the, a, cloud, a, a, a rushing mighty wind and fire got on each one of them. Find out what that means. Discover that afresh in 2020. November 1st, 2020, heralds an epoch turning point of refreshing. Seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. What will refresh a believer to see lost souls come to Christ? What will refresh a believer to see depressed people get lifted and be sick people get healed and lost people become found and, and truth being revealed? When I was in that door of open door, I literally opened the door into the, into the stairway, this beautiful Victorian stairway in this elderly but, but warm and cozy hotel. And there were all these students, genius kids, spoke fluent English, you know, having a little party. And I said, no, thank you. I'm, and I, I'm talking to them, and we're having great dis deep discussion about Jesus. So much so that I, every night for the, I think, three nights or four nights that we were in that spot, we traveled through the country, they were knocking on the door. And I get up, I got bedhead, you know, even Chelsea was asleep. I was like, yeah, what? Come out here, we must, we must talk some more. Come out here, we must talk some more. Oh, okay. I go to get my jeans on, get my shoes on, come back out. Well, now you said that, you know. And, I, and one guy at one point, he grabbed my shoulders, physically shook me, and it was, it was actually, he dug his fingers into my arms. Wasn't being violent with me, but he was so... He was so moved. He said, 
Why haven't the priests, why didn't the priests tell us this when I was young? And I didn't have an answer. You know, I didn't know the spiritual structure of Denmark at the time. I knew Europe was becoming post-Christian. And I felt sorry. I felt like all I was teaching them was that you could be a new creation in Christ, that there's a new birth, that it's real. You can have a relationship with God. You can know him, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And the simple things we take for granted were revolutionary to these guys. And the, by the way, the, spon- the, uh, the sponsors, the uh, chaperones, thank you, they were respectful. They were listening. They, I remember they were holding on to their knees. They were older than me, you know, and, and I was older than the kids, but they were older than me, and it was just an interesting moment. One guy said to me, it's too late for me because I'm, I can't believe now. I can't believe. He wanted to believe, and he said, I can't believe. He had been so gripped and seized with a secular mindset that he was, he was you know, he was deceived by it. But I'm, I'm telling you, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I was dog tired. I wanted to sleep. I was jet lagged out of my gourd. I still remember how painful it was. I did not know what time it was. I would walk around in the day like mouth breathing and wondering where, shuffling my feet, not knowing if I should have fish and chips because it felt like breakfast in my body, and that's a weird thing to eat. It has, they put it in newspaper, and you would eat it, and the breading would have the newspaper in reverse. You could actually you could read backwards, which I can. It's like read the sports section of what's going on with the soccer in Britain. And then you'd eat it and think, well... I hope this has protein in it because this printing is going into my, my uh, lymph nodes. But anyway, <laughs> let's all stand up on our feet. Got to pray and, re- and they re- some of them received Jesus and the ones that didn't said, we'll hear about it later. It was very much like Acts chapter 17. They were totally, totally oblivious to the fundamentals of the faith. And yet God anointed me when I was dog tired and it was in between the amazing illustrious things that were set up for me that I was prepared for. And actually God had things that I didn't know that I hadn't seen, ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things God's prepared for those who love him. Necessity is the mother of invention. Our need will be the real creator. Hunger makes people resourceful. This is an opportunity for us to listen to the Holy Spirit, pray big prayers. I realize you're fighting some oppression. I realize it's a, these are disturbing times, yet we know God is the God of peace and not confusion. We know where our help comes from. We have security. We fix our hope on the living God. We don't deny the problems. We just deny that they're going to dominate us because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Say this with me. A wide door for effective service is opening to me. And there are many adversaries, but I walk by faith and not by sight. I believe for a great outcome, answers to prayer, signs and wonders to follow, souls to be saved, breakthrough to occur, abundance will happen, achievements will happen. By design, God's will will be done. Souls will be saved. Lives will be changed. America will be saved. Europe will be saved. Africa will be saved. India will be saved. Asia will be saved. The nations will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.